You know, one of the things I've discovered, not just as a pastor, as a human being, is that every one of us wants to have a full and meaningful life. We all want to have a full and meaningful life. And so far we've discovered over the course of these last few weeks as we've been in this sermon series called Empty, we've discovered at least one surefire way not to have a full and meaningful life. Because the Bible tells us that life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. And that's what King Solomon, if you'll remember as we were studying in Ecclesiastes, that's what King Solomon thought. He said, if I can just get more stuff, if I can just have more wives, if I can just build more palaces, if I can just have more of the things that this world says are important, then my life will be full and rich and meaningful. And he discovered, as we start out right there in the first part of Ecclesiastes, he discovered that it was meaningless. He said, I've spent my life, it feels like I've been chasing after the wind. Can you imagine a more fruitless task? I mean, that might be fun for a while. But to spend your life and to look back on it and go, what, I've been chasing after the wind. Sadly, King Solomon's not the only person who's ever come to that conclusion You know people, you know people, people in your family, people with whom you have worked, people who are your friends, who at the end of their life, they look back at the sum total of their life, and you know what? They said, I've wasted it. I've gained all these things. I've been successful at business. I've built a nice home. I've sent my kids to college. I've done all these things. But when I look back on my life, I have to ask myself, did I really do anything that matters beyond this life? Did I do anything that would invest beyond here and into eternity? I filled my life up like Solomon. I didn't deny myself anything that my eye saw. And yet I discovered that I too was chasing after the wind. Well, if the things of this world, if money and possessions and and accomplishments and sex and power and fame, if these things don't give you a full and meaningful life, what does? And I'd like to suggest an alternative to you this morning. And that is, it is in the empty tomb. It is in the empty tomb that we find the key to a full life. Let this one soak in. Because, again, if you doze off, get this. It's in the empty tomb that we find our key to a full life. And so let's begin by going to that garden tomb nearly 2,000 years ago. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24. We're going to look at these first Eight verses, Luke chapter 24, the first eight verses, and let us discover here how we can find this full life. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they'd prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then, then they remembered his words. You saw it depicted before you a few moments ago, but let me just walk you through a little bit of what led up to Easter Sunday morning. On Friday, Jesus was crucified, and he was buried in a cold stone tomb. It was rock that was cut out of a hillside, and and in front of that big stone, as he was laid out inside, very quickly wrapped up, because you see, it was was the eve of the Sabbath, just, just a little while, Joseph of Arimathea, one of Jesus' followers, a wealthy man, got Jesus' body, quickly wrapped it, put it in the tomb, and had this massive stone rolled over to seal it. And they would have chipped out of that stone a, a, a segment, a flat area, and they'd have chipped off of that rounded stone a flat area so that when the stone fell into place, it would almost be like it was, it was locked. It was not going to go rolling off somewhere. It was there. And it would take many strong men in order to move this stone away from in front of that tomb. And you can understand, in a time before embalming, when bodies were put in tombs like this, you'd want that thing sealed and secure. Otherwise, in a few days, it would not be pleasant. And so they sealed this tomb. They closed this tomb. And this is where they put Jesus. And this is now on Friday just before dark. And everyone goes home because the Sabbath begins at sunset. What a sad end to the story if that were the end of the story. Jesus who had come into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who'd come in with so much promise and in the eyes of people, so much potential to deliver them from the hands of the Romans. And yet, what a disappointment this man was. I mean, the boldest thing he did while he was there was run some money changers out of the temple. But he didn't say anything about the Romans. He just kept on keeping on. And what a disappointment he was. So much so that By the time Jesus was arrested and presented to Pontius Pilate, Pontius asked the crowds, "What, what shall I do with this man? But they shouted, instead of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they shouted, crucify him. Crucify him. It's not hard to imagine that some of the same people who lined the streets were gathered in that courtyard. Some of the same people who shouted Hosanna shouted for his crucifixion. Then the long and terrible Sabbath before Sunday came. And now it's Sunday. The 11 remaining disciples are hiding behind closed doors, hoping that no one comes and hunts them down and does the same thing to them that was done to Jesus. When Jesus was buried, their hopes and dreams 
were buried along with him. For they'd left everything to follow Jesus. They'd left homes, careers, family members. They'd stake their entire lives on the fact that this man was unlike any other man and that he would give their life meaning and purpose. And yet now he's dead. A criminal's dead. Rejected by Romans and Jews alike. And buried in a borrowed tomb. That Sunday morning, there were also some women, followers of Jesus, supporters of Jesus, who came to that tomb early in the morning. That's why we have a sunrise service on Easter. Who came early in the morning to try to finish what Joseph of Arimathea had started on Friday afternoon. They came with spices to anoint the body, to rewrap the body, Because even if Jesus wasn't who they hoped he was, he certainly deserved better than this. And so they came. I don't know if they thought they could persuade the Roman soldiers to help move the stone. I don't know if they thought they might be able to, because Sunday was a day of work for most people, whether they thought that they might be able to find some men who were on their way, perhaps to dig a grave or to chip another tomb out of the stone that maybe they could find some men and persuade them to move this. Maybe they weren't even thinking about that at all. Have you ever grieved? Have you ever hurt? Sometimes you don't think so clearly. But they came to make sure that this one who had lived such a good life and died such a cruel death at least got the decency of a proper burial. But when they got there, they were a little surprised. Because that big stone that had been over the mouth of that cave was no longer there. I've seen all kinds of depictions from the stone having been rolled back to the stone having been burst to pieces. I don't know. I wasn't there. We're not given the details. All we know is it was open for business. And they looked inside and they saw the linens and they wondered what has happened. And listen, lots of things could have happened. They could have shown up at the wrong place. They, the, the Romans could have, have moved the body during the night to prevent some kind of insurrection. The Sanhedrin could have persuaded Joseph of Arimathea to get that body out of there so that it didn't become a shrine for people who worshipped him. And so as they wondered, a miracle happened. Not the first one that happened that day. As two angels showed up and they asked a very pointed question. Why are you looking for someone who is alive in a graveyard? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He told you he wouldn't be here. He told you he would rise. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. 
and an empty tomb, which had once been the symbol of all their disappointments, an empty tomb became the fulfillment of everything Jesus had promised. It proved that he was more than a good man, more than a great teacher, more than a powerful prophet. It proved that he was who he said he was. And that emptiness that the women felt as they came to the tomb was swallowed up in joy and hope. The empty tomb can do the same thing for you. Because the key to a life full of joy and peace and contentment is found in an empty tomb. Jesus said when he was alive and with his disciples, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, listen to this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, to have it abundantly. Who's the they that Jesus is talking about? The sheep? Those are his people, his sheep those who follow him. And Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for the flock, looks after the flock, meets the needs of the flock. The good shepherd does not abandon the sheep to the wolves, to the thieves, to the enemies who might attack. Instead, the good shepherd does what we read in Psalm 23. He leads the sheep to cool, refreshing waters, and green pastures, and in the midst of the darkest, longest, loneliest valleys, he takes the sheep safely through. That's the good shepherd. That is Jesus. And yes, there is an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but there's a shepherd who will restore who will heal, and who gives life. I want you to listen to some of the promises that Jesus himself gives to us. I want you to hear these. This, you say, well, this is not your tra- traditional Easter message. You need to hear this because the Easter message is about life. So listen to what Jesus says. In John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In John chapter 6, I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
And then in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In John 17, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus talks a lot about life in him, doesn't he? Seems like a theme that just runs through the gospel of John like a ribbon. I am life. I am life. I am life. He who comes to me will live. That's all King Solomon wanted back in the book of Ecclesiastes. He wanted to live. He wanted to find something that would make life have meaning, life have purpose, life have value. He wanted to find something that would give him a vitality that comes from the inside. He searched for it high and low. He tried everything under the sun. He said, I've been spending my life chasing the wind. Jesus comes and he says, listen, in me, there's life. Everything you've been looking for, striving for, working for, sweating for, toiling for, stressing over, all these things that you've invested yourself in over and over and over again, day after day after day after day, those things you've been searching there. But I'm here to tell you, you want to find life, here I am. Come and get it. I'm the bread of life. I'm the water of life. Come to me. And when John the Apostle tried to sum up his gospel, this is what he wrote. He said, but these things are written that you may believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have Life in his name. John said, listen, I didn't write this stuff down to impress you that I knew Jesus. The reason I'm writing this is so that you might have life, so that you might believe in him and live. Okay, you're saying, I get it. In Jesus, I have life. But Jesus said he didn't just come to give me life. He came to give me life to the full. So Where's the line for that? How how do I get some of that? That sounds good. I've got this life. I can say with Drew, as she did this morning, that, that I know I'm saved. I know I have that life. We can say that. We can validate that. We can celebrate that. But what about this life to the full? What does that mean? Well, if we were to discover the, the depth of that, we discover that, that this abundant life means exceedingly, very highly, beyond measure, more superfluous, a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than what would be expect to ex- that we could expect or anticipate. That's what abundance means. Abundance didn't mean, you know, oh, I got more French fries than I can eat. Abundance is this more than we could ever ask or even imagine? In that context, when we consider what Jesus is saying, the life that he offers us is super abundant and beyond anything that you could reasonably imagine life could be. Isn't that what King Solomon was looking for? 
a life above the ordinary, a life that actually had value, that made getting up worth getting up, that made Mondays, made Mondays worth looking forward to. That's hard for some of you, right? Oh, <laughs> I got an amen down front, obviously. Okay. It's hard for students. It's hard for parents. Whether you're going to school or going to work, the only Monday you look forward to is the one that you got off. But can you imagine having a life so abundant, so full, so meaningful, that on Monday morning you couldn't wait to get up and get started? To be honest, that's the kind of life Jesus came to bring you. And if you could get some of that, wouldn't you want it? I want to tell you it's available for you. But it doesn't mean more power. It doesn't mean more wealth. It doesn't mean more influence. It doesn't mean more stuff. It can't because we've already been told that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus never promises that you are going to get a limitless bank account, an ATM card that would never expire. And if any preacher says otherwise, run away fast. So what is promised here? Jesus has promised life as it was meant to be lived. Jesus has promised us life as it is meant to be lived. He's promising you a life that matters now and in eternity. He's promising that you can be a different person. Now, for some of you, that's a real challenge because when you look in the mirror, that image looking back at you, you don't like that person very much because you know better than anybody else in all the world what that person has done, what that person has said, what that person has thought, where that person has been. And you look at that and you wonder, how could anyone, anyone, love me especially Jesus who's holy but the life that Jesus wants to give when we receive that we come to understand that we are a new creation and then when God looks at us he doesn't see what other people see when God looks at us, he sees his son, his daughter. He sees someone who is righteous, not because they've earned it, but because they have received it. When he looks at us, he sees a new creation. He sees purity. He sees cleanness. He sees holiness and righteousness in us. And it's, it's, the deal is he's not looking at our stuff on the outside. He's looking at Jesus on the inside. Now, I want to tell you, if you want your Monday to be better, then you need to look in the mirror and say, God, what do you see today? Not what do I see today. What do you see today in my life? Listen, he's promising to fill that hole in your heart, that longing in your soul. We've talked about this already and in, in our grace group, we had a blank, and the blank, we filled it out, and we asked everybody in the room how they'd fill it out. Uh, if I had blank, then my life would be fulfilled. 
if I had blank. And we told them we wanted them to be honest and not put Jesus in the blank, okay? Seriously, say, what, what are you really thinking? And so some people go, you know, it was money. For some people, it was stuff. For me, I, I'd like to have a higher metabolism. That, that would be cool. I, I, could, I, could, I could handle that. You know, a metabolism that was so good that I could just go sit at the Krispy Kreme with a straw in the sugar that's coming off there. That'd be awesome. I don't know what kind of metabolism that would take. I'd have to be some kind of freak of nature, but, which Nancy says I already am, but in a different way. To have a life where you honestly, honestly, honestly fill that blank with Jesus. If I get Jesus, really, that's, that's all I need. What more could I ask for than Jesus? To know when I go to bed at night that if I die, I go to be with Jesus. And if I wake up in the next morning, I get to go through that day with Jesus. That's a pretty awesome thought. That gives life meaning and purpose and fulfillment. Some of you are waiting for that right person to come along. And you've been waiting and waiting. And if you had that blank and said, what will it that fulfills my life? If I had man, if I had woman, you know, I'd be happy. I want to go ahead and be honest with you. If you're not happy with Jesus without that other person, then you're not going to be happy when you add that other person in there. You've got to be content with Jesus and the other blanks empty before you can be content with Jesus and the other blanks full. He came not to give us a temporary satisfaction that the world does, but to give us joy and peace and contentment that poverty and pain and even persecution can't take away. This is one of the reasons that I encourage people to do what they can to go on a mission trip. And I'm not talking about going on a mission trip to the beaches down at the Bahamas or going on a mission trip, you know, to uh, some, some fancy place. I'm talking about going uh, to where living ain't so easy. I know some of you, you have struggles but I'm talking about where you really, truly do not know where your next meal is going to be. And the one you had before was a few days back. Where you have no clean water to give your child who's suffering with diarrhea because the water you're giving them is filled with bacteria and parasites and all kinds of things. Where you sleep under the stars not because you're out enjoying camping, because that's the way life is. And if you could just see, if you could just see the faces of fathers and mothers and children who have not two dimes to rub together and to hear them laugh and to sing songs to Jesus that would just put us to shame on our best day. People who found out that Jesus and nothing is everything. Everything without Jesus is nothing. And so Jesus came to fill up that 
which is in each of us, this God-shaped whole, and to give us his eternal presence, not only in heaven, but with us each day. Wherever you go, Jesus is there. He's tagging along with you. No matter where you go, no matter what you experience, no matter what challenges you have, Jesus, hey, listen, he's your shepherd. He's not going anywhere. You look, turn around, there he is. More green pastures, more cool waters. Here's a valley. Let's go through it together. The empty tomb means that you you and I can have a life that will matter both here and hereafter. You can have a life that matters. Some of you haven't found that yet. Your life is existence. Let me just exist today and I'll exist tomorrow and then I'll exist the next day. But with Jesus in your life, you are not a victim. You have victory in him. You are not unimportant or insignificant You are a precious child of God. Your words matter. Your actions matter. Your life matters. And here is the promise of Scripture. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The tomb was empty because Jesus was alive. And today we celebrate because that Jesus is still alive. And he offers life to you today, which is unlike anything that the world has to offer. So here is your assignment. I'm going to give you an assignment. Homework. (laughs) Oh, you like homework? No. No. Here's your homework. I give you permission, adults and children, to spend just an hour during prime time watching television. Watch for the commercials. Watch the commercials. They're promising you life. Every one of them. Here's how you can have a full and meaningful life. If you use this deodorant, women will flock to you. If you use this shampoo, they'll be running their fingers through your hair. And in my case, it will be singular. If you drive this car, everyone will admire you and your neighbors will stop to stare. If you eat this cheeseburger, they never say you're going to get coronary artery disease. If you eat this cheeseburger, man, you'll have friends and people will just, they'll just love to eat around you. Just seriously. An hour of primetime television watching the commercials. If you want to record it and just go back and watch the commercials, that's fine. Just check it out. Because the world says, here's life. Here's life. This is what it consists of. This is what makes you happy. And then in walks a resurrected Jesus who says, this is life. 
This is life. And my invitation to you this morning is to come to Jesus and live